God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be moved, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of armies is with us. Jacob's God is our fort. Come, see the deeds of the Lord, how he brings devastation to earth by sending wars to the uttermost lands. He shatters the bow, splinters the spear, and burns the chariots with fire. Relax and acknowledge that I am God. I arise among nations. I arise in the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. Jacob's God is our fort. If a person who was rich enough in this world's goods saw that one of his brothers or sisters was in need but closed his heart to this person, how could the love of God be living in him or her? Our love is not to be just words or mere talk, but something real and active. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. You know, God has always been with his people when they got in hot water. And they spent a lot of time in hot water. And God is no stranger to hot water, to tough times, stressful days. The psalm which we read together responsibly a few moments ago, Psalm 46, is a psalm that grew out of the hot water. The background of those words that we read together, you'll find recorded in 2 Kings 18 and 19. I would refer you to read that if you want to read about God's marvelous power in delivering his people when they get caught in a difficult situation. Shennacherib and his Assyrian forces had conquered Phoenicia, the Philistines, and the Egyptians, and now he encamped around Jerusalem. And he said, give up, because we have you surrounded and we have you outnumbered. And Hezekiah the king was terrified, as it were all of the people, but thank God that they listened to the preacher, Isaiah by name, who said, listen, you put your faith and trust in God and you will be delivered. Your arms and armies and alliances are important, but they'll never win the battle for you. And if you put your primary faith there, you'll lose. You begin with God. 
Put your faith in God. Trust God, and He will be with you. The people did. The next morning when they awakened, they looked out on the hills surrounding Jerusalem, and 185,000 of Shennacherib's troops lay dead. And he and a remnant marched back to Assyria, defeated, and God preserved his people in hot water time. With that background in mind, let me ask you to do something. Not only to think about the desert in Arabia, but maybe the desert in your heart. To think not only about Shennacherib outside Jerusalem and Saddam outside Saudi Arabia, but think about the Shennacherib and the Assyrian forces that may be arrayed around your heart and around your life today. I've talked to a number of people this week personally. One fine individual, dedicated Christian, conscientious worker, talented, with family, facing a serious economic crisis in their life. You name their Shennacherib economics. You name their problem, their Assyrians, a money. I talked to another individual with unwanted family problems, a willingness to get counseling, the other party not, feeling trapped, helpless, alone. Shinacri comes in many shapes and many forms. And he not only shows up on the world scene in the form of people like Saddam Hussein, he can show up on your personal scene and mine with fears and apprehensions and threats that are in all likelihood undeserved, unwanted, but they're there. Well, what do you do? Let's hear the preacher. Let's listen to God talking to us through Isaiah. What does he say? He doesn't begin with the problem. He doesn't begin with Shennacherib. He doesn't begin with Assyria. And if you and I begin with the problem, we're doomed to be victimized by it. He begins with God. And if you and I don't begin with God, we're going to lose regardless of who may be on our side. If we don't begin with God, it doesn't make any difference how sophisticated our weapons might be or how powerful our coalition might be. If you and I individually and collectively as people do not begin with God, we will end in failure in our own lives individually, in our lives collectively. God, he said, is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Begin with God. A very present help in trouble. I like that. I thank God for the folks who have been a very present help to me in times of trouble. Aren't you grateful for those folks that came into your life, those good Samaritans? Those people who embodied the character and the quality of God who came to deal with people and help people and minister to people in hot water? 
Think about that good Samaritan for just a moment. He's to be our model. He's to be our pattern. He is a picture of God, what God is like. He's not sitting up there on a mountaintop somewhere watching this spectacle of robbery and beating and violence taking place down there in the valley. He shows up on the scene. He's there. And when he gets there, he doesn't just whisper in that wounded man's ear the address of the nearest hospital. He helps him. He touches him. He ministers to him. He doesn't lecture to him or preach to him. He helps him. And he gets him down there and puts him in a hotel and tells the folks there to take care of him. And he went off. And I don't know where he went, but you know what I think he did? I believe this good Samaritan not only was helping the wounded man, I believe he went down and started lobbying with the city council to put some new lights up on that road. I think maybe he went to the state legislator and started talking about some realistic rehabilitation for criminals. I believe maybe he went to the schools and started challenging teachers that they are part of God's peacemakers in the world and that so much of the violence that we have in our land and so much of the criminality that we have grows out of social conditions that can be changed with education, with a stronger police force. I believe he went down and talked to the folks about getting a new bond election going. We need a stronger police force. We need to do everything we can to make life on this planet as livable and as pleasant as possible. And everybody who is engaged in that kind of pursuit is, I believe, by God's definition, a peacemaker. Now, not just a peace lover and a peace talker or a peace marcher, but a peacemaker. Somebody who was involved, as Paul said, in the ministry of reconciliation, doing anything possible to make this world a better place for folks when they get in hot water and to prevent the hot water when possible. Every one of you working in teaching ministries of one kind or another, either in the classroom or administratively. You are part of the peacemaking force that God has in the world. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those of you who are working in any and every way possible to help make our community a better place, to improve education, to improve our city, to improve our courts, to improve any and everything about life, you are a peacemaker for God and being a peacemaker, you're a child of God. I believe those who are in Saudi Arabia, by my definition, are peacemakers. Now, they don't want to be there. They don't want to have to do that. Like many of you in this room, I was in the service during World War II. I was in the branch of the service that won World War II, as you probably know, the U.S. Marine Corps. But... I, uh, I was there because I wanted to be there. I felt that's where God wanted me to be. I believed I was doing something that would make the world a better place. And um, I must tell you that when I, when I watch television and I see those Marines over there in Saudi Arabia, it, it, it may be foolish or silly or immature. I don't know what it is, but it's the way I feel. There's a part of me that feels like I'd like to be there with me. 
In fact, I went down and tried to re-enlist <laughs> this week. Martha and I had been in the movie the other night and they had an ad on there about the Marine Corps, you know, a few good men. And uh, I walked in and I said, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to re-enlist. They smiled and they were very nice and gracious. And they said, well, Brother Fanning, that's good. We appreciate your spirit and your effort, but uh, the advertisement said we want a few good men. <laughs> that kind of hurt my feelings, Gardner. You may want to talk to them about that. They said, uh, why don't you just leave us your number and, and uh, don't call us. We'll call you. If Saddam happens to show up on Alamo Plaza, maybe we can use you, but until then, maybe you can make peace in a different way. You know, that's what I think I'm trying to do right here in some small way, trying to create a world Well, we're not have to send men and women out to fight on desert sand, doing something about the hearts of men. I don't want to live in a world like that. You don't want to. So let's be peacemakers. Let's do what we can to create an environment in our world where there will not be room for wars, either on desert sands or in your heart or your home or our community. God wants to be our peace and to make peace between men. And he's come to join us in this there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail or fall, and God will help her at the break of day. We're not in this alone. The refreshing God who is a stream in the desert will be there to be with you in whatever desert you find yourself in individually today or the desert we find ourselves in collectively as a nation today. The most important thing that can happen out of this war is not only that we could win this war, it be over, and these men and women be home soon, but that is a byproduct of that, and the most important byproduct of that could be a great turning to God on the part of this land. Nothing we need more. Nothing more desperately needed for the conflicts going on in our city streets and in our schools and in business where greed has become the order of the day, where violence has become accepted, where sexual permissiveness is ignored, my God, help us to return to the faith of our fathers. And may out of this time of trouble and this hot water there come a cooling of our spirits by the forgiving grace of God and create within us a new heart and renew a right spirit within us. That is my prayer. And God invites us, come and see, he said, the works of the Lord. I, all hell can break loose in the world, he's saying here. Make a difference. What happens? I will be there and be with you. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall, I will be there to be with you. I will be your refuge and your strength and your refresher, your companion. No wonder that Martin Luther was inspired to write a mighty fortress is our God 
after reading this psalm. No wonder that the dying words of John Wesley were taken from this psalm. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That was the last statement John Wesley uttered on his deathbed. God is with us is what he was saying. And he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And whether our desert is a personal one in our hearts or in our homes or in our work, in our community or in our world, God will be our refuge and strength and our fortress. He will be our stream of living water in the desert and he invites us. Come and see the works of the Lord. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. You hear the four things he's saying? Come, see, stop, and know. A second-hand relationship with God won't work in hot water. It will not be a stream of living water in the desert. You need to experience the presence of God in your own heart, in your own life. The faith of our fathers, though a great example, is not enough faith for me nor for you. And America cannot live off of the faith of our fathers. Any more than I can live off of my parents' faith. I need an experiential faith for myself and you for yourself. Must come and see and taste and know the Lord to stop and to listen and to respond. Looking at Fred Miller here, I'm reminded of those experiences we shared together in Nagasaki in 1975 when we were there to preach at the invitation of the city of Nagasaki and Fred was making a film of that event. Many of you in this church were along with us on that occasion commemorating the, the 30th anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bomb. For I landed in Nagasaki a few days after August the 9th, 1945, as most of you know and have heard me relate. The war was over. And the sights we saw and the smells that we smelled and the experience that we had is to me to this day an indescribable event. The outward war was over, but the war in my heart was not over. What was going on in my heart was merely a microcosm of what I'd seen on a worldwide scale. People were now celebrating peace, but I didn't know any peace inside. I started going to a little Methodist church there in Nagasaki on Sunday mornings. I couldn't understand the word they said. I'd go down there and help them pass out the hymn books and set up the chairs, and the pastor couldn't speak English, and I couldn't speak Japanese. About all we did every Sunday was just kind of stand there and bow at each other and <laughs> smile and... and uh, I, I learned to talk with my hands during that time. I felt like, you know, if you could talk loud enough or use your hands enough, anybody in the world could understand you. didn't work that way, but uh, I went. We had communion every Sunday. Had communion every Sunday. I'll never forget those, those experiences. That church wasn't as big as this choir law, not half as big as this choir law. But that war went on in me for about a year. It was not until August 31st Next year, 1946, in a revival meeting in Dallas, that I stopped 
I quit trying to justify my own life. I quit trying to rationalize the past or excuse the present. I came and I saw and I stopped and I came to know him as God. And in a youth revival, I found peace. My friend, God has come to bring peace into your heart. That's where it needs to start. Pray to God it will reach out to Baghdad, to Jerusalem, to Saudi Arabia, to Kuwait. But let me tell you, the peace can come there, but never come here. You and I have little or no control over those events. We pray for our leaders and for those who do have control. We have little or no control over those events. Over there, I have all of the control over the events in my heart and in my life, and so do you. You can make peace with God today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I invite you to trust him, to give him your heart, Come and see, to stop, and to know that God is God, and he will be your refuge and strength. He will be your good Samaritan, a very present help in trouble. He will be your springs in the desert. He will be the source of refreshment for your life. And though everything around you begin to crumble, you will stand. Though everything else fall, you will survive, and you will survive as more than conqueror through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this marvelous psalm ends with an invitation issued long ago by Isaiah to the people of God in Jerusalem and issued across the centuries by subsequent Isaiahs, though never equal to him, echoing his message, come and see that the Lord is good. Stop trying to save yourself and trust him and know God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's his message and his invitation. I merely speak it and extend it. You respond.